This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody. I'm Mike Francesa, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. And remember, Bet Rivers has a new football squares game where you can win up to $10,000 when you make your football bets. So check it out on the Bet Rivers and play Sugar House apps. And remember, for all of your wagering needs in New York and New Jersey, it's Bet Rivers. In Connecticut, it is Play Sugar House. Uh, He's part of the Bet Rivers family. He has a podcast you hear, Stinkin' Stokely, uh, Mark Schleth, who uh, did plenty of winning uh, in his NFL career and now is a noted uh, NFL broadcaster. Mark, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you doing, buddy? Thank you. Uh, before we get to the wild card weekend, the expanded wild card weekend, uh, your thoughts on Denver their search, what they're looking for. Now, fans know, or they should know, uh, you did a lot of winning uh, in your NFL career. You know what it takes to have a winning team, to build a winning team. What's your thoughts on their pursuit, and what's your, what would you like to see them do? Well, I think first and foremost, they need an adult. Um, you know, this last coaching staff that came in, and I'm a real, like, I really like Nathaniel Hackett as a guy, and he's become a friend. But, you know, ultimately, I think there's two things that you have to have as a head coach in the National Football League. Um, there's and, and, and they come in the same category. They, they're, they're of the same kind of built, but two different sides of the equation. And that's fear. And when you come in as a head coach, there's got to be a fear from the biblical sense of fear. You know, the, the, uh, like they always say in the, in the Bible, they say the fear of the Lord. And that's, that's a reference to an awesome reverence or respect You have to have that respect. You have to have some reverence as a player for the guy that's in charge of your franchise and your organization. So I believe that that's got to be part of the equation. The other part of the equation is is just true fear. Like, that dude will fire me, and he won't think twice about it and perform. If I don't perform, I will get benched. And there has got to be that fear that permeates your organization, not only from a player's perspective, but probably more importantly, from a coach's perspective. If you're not coaching them up and you aren't getting the best out of your guys, you're not going to coach them anymore. And I think ultimately those things have got to be present within an organization. Now, I had respect and I had friendship and I had relationship with Joe Gibbs. I had the same thing with Mike Shanahan. But I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I didn't perform, I was going to get benched. And there was no two ways about it. If I didn't perform, I'd get cut. I mean, Mike Shanahan would cut me and then say at the same time, hey, why don't you come over? We're having pizza tonight. Like that's <laughs> like, you know, and you yeah. have to have that. And and that wasn't part and hasn't been part of this organization. So they need an adult um, that that 
inspires um, inspires guys to not only perform, but but there's a certain amount of fear within that building. I don't think they've had that, and and that to me has got to be kind of the number one focus of this organization going forward. Do you think the Russell Wilson presence makes it easier to attract a noted head coach, or does it make it more complicated to attract a noted head coach? Um, I think it makes it complicated unless you're the kind of head coach that I just described. If you don't have, if you haven't had some success, if you don't have a track record, um, then I think it makes it a little bit more difficult. I think you've got to come in here. I think what we saw with Jerry Rossberg taking over is we saw accountability. You know, there's a, there's a saying in the NFL and people say it all the time, you know, availability is the best ability, baloney, responsibility and accountability. Those things are far more important to me than availability. And Jerry Rosberg walked into the organization. He took over. The first thing he did is fired two coaches, fired Dwayne Stukes, the special teams coach, and he fired the offensive line coach. Then he demoted a couple of players. You're not going to play for me. You're not going to play for me. You're not going to play for me. You're not getting it done. Instantly, boom, there was that fear. Oh, shoot, if I don't produce, uh, things are not going to go my way. So you saw that happen instantly. Then he went, went ahead and said, hey, man, here's what you're good at, Russell. Here's what you're not good at. You're not good at is what you've been doing all season long, sitting in shotgun, thinking that you can – deconstruct the defense. No, what we're going to do is we're going to get you on the move. We're going to move you around. We're going to have some design QB runs. We're going to run some RPO stuff and some zone read stuff off those, off those plays. And then ultimately through formation, we're going to dictate defense. So pre-snap, you're going to get single high safeties, right? You're going to get a post safety. And we know we're going to have free access to the outside in those, in those defenses. And so we're going to create some easy throws and some easy reads for you that aren't going to change from pre to post snap. And in the last game, the guy was exceptional. That's what I believe they did in Seattle all those years under Pete Carroll, you know, that whole mantra of, Hey, let Russ cook. That, that, that was designed by Russ and Russ's people. Pete Carroll took a load of heat for not, you know, not the perception was he never let him cook. Well, I think there was a reason he didn't let him go. Yeah, he played he him the way he was going to win. Absolutely. Right. you got to be able to say no to him is what you got to be able to do. Right. He knew what Russ couldn't do. Yep. He's like, you can't do this. Like, you may think you can, but you can't. And so as long as you get a coach that they can come in here and say, this is what we're going to do. And, and essentially, you know, it's it's funny in today's age, Mike. Everybody goes, well, you know, do you, do you bring Russ in to have a, a sample? No, hell no. Heck he no. Right I agree. I, I'm old fashioned. Right. I, I, right. I grew up under the Parcel school. I'm old fashioned. The coach is the boss. Case closed. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, I don't want him to have any. As a matter of fact, maybe I do want him to have a say because whatever he says, I'll go the opposite direction. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't want him to feel comfortable at all. You know, it's true. And listen, you have a great player. If you're a head coach, you're smart. You're going to learn to live with him, but you're still the boss. And he wants you to be the boss if he's a great player. He wants you to be the boss. He wants you to be in charge of the players. Yeah, there's listen, there is no question. You want parameters. You want structure. You want to be held accountable. The bottom line is players want to win. They really do. Um, and sometimes they don't like the way you have to go about that, but they, they, they do. And they want to be coached. Like a, a player, like I've always said this, man, if I suck, go ahead and tell me I suck. And then give me a, a, give me a game plan 
so that I can get better, so that I can improve. Players want to win. They want to be better. They want to grow. They they want to do those things. But if you don't direct them and you don't have a set of tenets and standards that they have to follow, like players, like, like culture is a really interesting thing within an organization. Culture is very much like water. You know, water will trickle down the path of least resistance. So does culture. Culture just, pat, just trickles down the path of least resistance, and you'll do just enough not to get fired. Um, and, and culture is one of those things. It's not static. It's alive. It has to be worked on every day. And the great organizations work on it. They demand it. Uh, it's from the top down. And if you don't adhere to it, there are consequences to it. And those are the things to me that, that create championship organizations. And when everybody buys into that, then they want to be coached. They want to be held accountable. They want to, they, they want pressure on them. Um, but if you don't have that type of structure, then it's a free-for-all in a locker room. And you know this about players. Players have good horse sense. We're not all the smartest guys in the world, but we have good horse sense, and we can tell when a guy's full of crap. We can right. tell when a guy isn't authentic, right? And if a dude comes in there and isn't authentic, it, it, it'll be a free – he'll get run over. And you can see uh, – what Mark just said is so true, folks, because you can see the perfect example of this, even with a winning – franchise the giants were a great franchise they lost their way they completely lost their way and they couldn't get out of their own way and then they brought in finally the right guy in brian dable who brought in the right assistants who brought in a great defensive coordinator and the giants have won with the same players basically because they have this year leadership culture and terrific coaching yeah, I hey, you're not going to get any argument from me. I think Brian Dable for me is the coach of the I year. I agree. And, he's and been think, brilliant. Think I've watched every one of their games. I've watched them operate. He has done a superb job, and it started by putting together a good staff, which everyone will tell you, yes. and you know this, how hard it is now to put a good staff together. He put together he, a tremendous coaching staff. There, there's no question about it, and it's so funny. There, a couple of different things. One. You know, it, there was a, I, I did a game about week five or so against Jacksonville. They won that game. Last second, they made a defensive stop at about that one-yard line. It was a great game. And, you know, the big the big scuttlebutt in New York at the time was, hey, Brian Dable, you know, the halftime adjustments are great. You know, he does these unbelievable halftime adjustments. So I sit down and go, okay, what's the big deal? What's your halftime adjustment? Because my halftime adjustments, I go to Mike Kafka and say, give 26 to Baltimore. Just put it in his hand where he goes, I'm not doing anything different. I'm just giving it to the to, to our best player. And you look at what they've been able to accomplish. Look at both of their starting corners were on somebody else's roster and got cut at the at, at the last you know day camp. Their starting safety, Pinnock, was on the Jets roster, I believe, in September and got cut. He's their starting safety. Uh Landon Collins was on the couch in September. They brought him in on practice squad. Now he's playing a significant time in the nickel role. Jalen uh, Smith was on his couch in October. They brought him off the couch to become the starting middle linebacker of the Giants. Their number one receiver, a guy by the name of Isaiah Hodgins, was on the Buffalo Bills practice squad. Absolutely, and he's been great. 1st. He's been great and since he's been, he's been, he's been here. Been great. And they have just found guys that have a chip on their shoulder, and those guys have been coachable, They have they, and they have played together. And I'm, t- I'm telling you, man, I, I just think what he's done – not only with that football team, but it's essentially the same team that couldn't win. Absolutely. And it's the culture that's changed. Um, and, and I'll make a, you know, I'd make an argument, and I don't think anybody could really argue with me. 
the Giants are the least talented team in the playoffs. Right I don't now. think there's any question. I don't even think it's, it's like, debatable. It's not even yeah. debatable they are. And I'll tell you who has also made a huge – Wink Martindale has done an unbelievable job. And they and you know they're going to blitz, and they still can't stop it. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm telling you, he is one of my favorite coaches in the league. Uh, he's you know he's become a, a, a good friend, and he has got some bravado about him. He challenges his players, and he just says, this is who we are. Like, I think one of the big things for me in the NFL, and, and there's not enough of it, there's not enough identity. Here's what we are. Here's what we do. Like, I, I always, I, I'm a big fan of it. It's a really stupid movie, but I, I love it, uh, Dodgeball. And and there's, you know, the, the villains of Dodgeball is Ben Stiller at uh, a gym called Global Gym. Mm-hmm. And their motto is, we're better than you, and we know it. Uh, at Global Gym, right? And that's the like great coaching staffs to me. It's not. It's not. Hey, we out trick you. Like I, I like deception. I don't like tricky. I like to line up and say, this is who we are. We're going to do it out of different formations, maybe different personnel groupings, whatever. But we're basically going to thunder punch you in the jaw, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. And that's Wink Martindale. We're coming after you. We're brilliant. we're blitzing you on first, second, and third down. We're bringing pressure. We're bringing heat. We'll place some man behind it. We'll make some mix ups. You know, but but bottom line is at the end of the day, we're going to make more plays. You'll make some against us, but we're going to make more plays than you will. And and they just come at you with that with that kind of attitude. And I love that about Wink Martin. And they stolen about they stole about five or six games in the fourth quarter. I mean, they were down 13 uh, to Tennessee. They were down double digits to to, uh, Baltimore. I mean, they were down so many times late in games and stole games this year. And they got better as they went on because they got more confident. And, you know, this I kept saying this players will buy in. You can turn a team that isn't any good if it gets off to a fast start. Everybody in the whole building buys in, and now they're better than they really are. And that's what the Giants have been this year. They're better than their parts. They're better than who they are because they all bought into the plan. They all believe in the plan, and they all play hard every single down. Yeah. I agree, 100%. And you got to give a lot of credit. What's the GM's name, uh, Joe Shane? Yeah, done a good um, job. You know, and they haven't brought in a lot of guys yet. They got a lot of work to do. They they got to upgrade a lot of a lot of positions, but they've done a good job with Daniel Jones. They've cut out the mistakes and they've utilized mm-hmm. his legs. They've they've made him a force with his running game. And let's be honest, his legs are his best quality. That and his judgment, that's his best quality. And Barkley's been, you know, who he's supposed to be. And and like you said, they've gotten it from a bunch of role players and guys who, you know, they just picked up or or added or taught or whatever. And now they're, you know, most people are picking them this week. It's unbelievable. And Minnesota's got so much more talent than them. It's ridiculous. But you know what? It, it just shows you that people buy into to that kind of and that's what you're looking for. You don't know if that assistant's going to be good or not. I always bring up two assistants, Mark. Bill Onsbarger was Don Shula's co-coach with the uh, great undefeated Dolphin teams, back-to-back champions, the whole thing. He came to the Giants. He went 7-24 and before they fired him as a head coach. He was awful as a head coach. North Turner was a great assistant, a great coordinator, won everywhere he went, won with the Cowboys, terrible head coach. He couldn't make that final move and be that leader and run the room sometimes you don't know Dable comes in he's been a lifelong assistant 
the day he got there, he was in charge. You just don't know which ones are going to be good and which ones aren't. Yeah, that that is 100% for sure. And there are some guys, you know, and this is always interesting to me, is the guys that can transition from coaching players to coaching coaches. Yep. Because I think one of the things that's really hard for guys is they lose a little of the relational part of the coaching. Right. It becomes because a lot of guys love the interaction with players and love, you know, the coaching of the players and and that bond that you create. And when you become the head coach, you've got to be able to step back from that and you've got to allow your assistants to develop those relationships. And you just got to be the head coach and you got to coach the coaches. Yeah, I'm not saying you don't have a relationship with the players, but it's a different relationship with the players. And one of the things that was really cool for me talking to Brian Dable about my Kafka is, you know, just about play calling and all that stuff. He's like, hey, game planning and everything, we're, you know, we're connected that way. But when the game starts and we kick it off, you know, I don't ever call up to my Kafka and give suggestions. I don't ever circumvent his authority. I don't ever, because I know what that feels like. And, I, I, and it's happened to me, and I don't want to be that guy. You know, we'll sit down, we'll sit down between series and say, hey, what are you thinking? Da, da, da. But I don't call up in the middle of the drive and go, hey, we should run this. Because don't ever do that. Because, again, you limit that guy's authority. You circumvent that guy or, or you emasculate that guy in front of the rest of the coaching staff and in front of his players. And so I just, like, Brian, I've got a ton of respect for him, what he's been able to accomplish, and his ability to transition you know, from play caller, coordinator, relational guy to head coach. And I think that's a tough transition for a lot of guys. And he's done it masterfully. All right. Right now, uh, we know buys for the Eagles who had to go back and win that game. And the Giants were a thorn in their side in that game. And they didn't play their guys. And their other backups played great. I mean, that just gives you an example. They could, uh, the Eagles couldn't put them away. I mean, it was unbelievable. That just shows you the way the Giants act these days. Um, but they got their one seed. The Chiefs get their one seed. They might have to play a neutral game against the Bills if that happens down the road. We'll see what it, where they go. Uh, in your mind, the best team in the NFC is, is it Philly or is it San Francisco? Uh, I think the best team is San Francisco. So do I. I, I, so think, do I. I think the one team that the, – the, the, the interesting thing about the Niners to me is they don't have to have – their quarterback doesn't have to play great. He just – just don't make mistakes. Like that's that's really the way they're structured. They'll they'll dress nine, eight, nine defensive linemen. They'll have a great rotation. They'll totally dominate the line of scrimmage. Their front seven is incredible on the defensive side of the ball. So they'll keep you in games. They they've got they control line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball. They run the ball exceptionally well. Their play action game marries perfectly to their run game. So they create six or seven explosives a game where your quarterback is just basically reading one guy, throwing it to one dude. Yep. And, and, and those guys, once they catch the ball, they're all extremely gifted at breaking tackles and getting yards after catch. And, and now they have kills stuff. healthy too, which gives them another weapon. A huge, huge weapon. So to me, it's about, Hey, and I'm not saying the quarterback hasn't played great because he really has. I mean, He's done he, a good he job. He really has. Yeah. He understands blitz. He understands uh, blitz pickup. He knows when he is unprotected. He knows when he's protected. A lot of times what you'll see is a guy will see color flash and instantly pulls the ball and starts scrambling around. And that guy's pro he's protected because the back's coming across the formation to pick that guy up. But young quarterbacks don't realize that or they see the flash and they don't trust it. 
He trusts it. He understands it. He knows when he's got to get rid of the ball. He knows when he's got time. And his footwork is impeccable. So his feet time to the route, the route combinations, he throws the ball on time. Um, I think, uh, again, but they're not asking him to go out and win a game. They're just saying, hey, man, just don't lose a game. But I let, think, me, you know, let me ask you an interesting me. question. Yeah. If Garoppolo's a healthy backup, how far do you go with the kid? If it's not this week, maybe it's the next week, and he's struggling. Do you say it's his game? Has he earned that? Or would you make a quick hook to Garoppolo to save your playoff? Uh, I, I would listen. I, it, it'd be him all the way up to the point, and this is probably the one the one scary point for me. He hasn't had a game where he has really been in trouble. Like he hasn't had that game where he has thrown two picks and's got to respond. And so that would be my one fear for him. But I would not, even if he throws a couple of picks, that defense is not going to allow them not to be in the game. And they did get involved in a shootout against the Raiders. Yep. So he has he has experienced that. Like it is it is his right now. He seems and, very um, confident. He, and there, and let me ask yeah, you this other question. No question. And this one deals with this week. You have three divisional games, which always in the playoffs usually tend to be close. But two of them, you don't have the quarterbacks. How do you sell a te- sell your veteran players? Like Miami. Miami knows if they had a quarterback, they have receivers that could really give Buffalo a hard night. They know if you're Baltimore, if we had our quarterback, we can play Cincy straight up. How do you convince your players? How do you convince your core that they can win with the backup when in their heart of hearts they don't think they can? Yeah, I think it comes down. I think it comes down to you've got to give them the the wise. I think one of the great coaches and Mike Shanahan is this way. Kyle Shanahan is this way. Um, great coaches just happen to be this way. Number one, they're they're honest about. Hey, here's where we are, guys. This is this is kind of what we're facing. These are the challenges we're facing. But they tell you kind of what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, why it's going to work, why I need buy-in on this. And so what you say is, hey, man, we don't have our quarterback, but we still have our running game. We still have these different things, but we're going to have to rally together around until we get our quarterback back. But here's how we're going to win this game. So I remember being a I remember being a 13 point underdog in a Super Bowl to the Green Bay Packers. Biggest defensive line in the National Football League. The Green Bay Packers had we had the smallest offensive line in football and like everybody said, oh, we're going to get manhandled. We're going to get this. We're going to get that. I remember probably I think it was a, a Friday or Saturday night meeting. Mike Shanahan had a cut-up role of all the plays the Green Bay Packers made in the run game. And out of every time you got into a slot formation, so we would get into you know near or far right slot. So two wide receivers on one side, tight end on the opposite side, all alone, fullback and tailback. And every time you got into that and ran strong, the wide, the weak side linebacker would get out, walk out a little bit wider, and Leroy Butler, Hall of Famer, would come screaming down. They basically exchanged the position of the safety and the weak side linebacker. And every single time, Leroy Butler made a tackle in the backfield. It was, it was unbelievable. They just... Play after play after play, team after team after team after team. And you're just like, how does nobody see this? How does nobody pick this up? So Mike Shanahan put this thing on and goes, okay, here's what they do. 
We're going to get into this formation. We're probably going to be in it 10, 12, 15 times. We're going to gut the Green Bay Packers because we're going to make an exchange with our backside guard is no longer going to go to the weak side linebacker. Slot receiver, Eddie McCaffrey, you take him. You dig him out. Stink. You go up to the you go up to Leroy Butler and you hit him in the jaw. Try to break his try to break his freaking jaw. And TD press and cut back. First time we ran it was probably the third play of the game. Bam, nine, twelve yards, whatever it was. And at that point, you're like, "Oh, we got him. We we got him." And that's the, the whole game. We just, I mean, we the, Terrell Davis ended with 158 yards. And uh, and missed a quarter with a migraine. <laughs> he missed a quarter with a migraine. Still I remember it well, yards. absolutely. And you know, people don't realize. I mean, you play. First of all, everyone knows how great Joe Gibbs was, but people don't realize how good an offensive coach Shanahan was. If you ever sat down with a, and I know you have, but the fans, if they sat down with a Parcells or Belichick and ask him the toughest offensive coordinators to match up against, at the top of the list comes oh, Shanahan's yeah. name. At the top of the list, Gibbs is always there. Shanahan is always right there. Toughest guy to defend and go up against and game plan for is is Mike Shanahan. He was a great offensive coach. You, you know, it's funny when I, uh, I I did a game in New England, and um, you know we we say hello and Coach Belichick comes in there and says hello. We all shake hands, introduces to the whole crew. <clears throat> he flops down, he looks at me, and he goes. Dude, we have had some epic freaking battles. And then we just reminisced for about 30 minutes about the Giants days, about my days with the Broncos. Yep. Um, and, and he talked about, you know, just talked about the difficulties they had defending our offense. Oh, they hated um, going against Shanahan. They hated it. They said he was tough. They always said he was the toughest guy in the league. have the answers. Yep. Yeah. And so, anyhow, which was, which was great reminiscing, but you're 100% right. Those – those guys just have a great way of explaining the game, simplifying the game, and saying, here's what we're going to do, and this is why we're going to be successful, successful, and then get complete and total buy-in. All right, Pete Carroll's done an incredible job this year, even getting this many wins out of the Seattle team with, you know, with a rebuilt offensive line, you know, rookie tackles, a million injuries, Walker at running back, Geno Smith at quarterback. It's amazing he's here. I think he's running into an incredible spot against San Francisco. Uh, usually I expect division games to be pretty close or closer in the playoffs, but I don't give him much of a shot here. You give Seattle any chance against San Francisco? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't. Do I, I. I think it's, I think it's going to be, you know, I don't know what the spread is, but I nine, think it's going to be. Bet Rivers is nine and a half. Nine and a half. Yeah. I, I would take, hey, listen, I'd take the Niners and I'd give the points. They are um, playing great. They really are. The other Saturday game, Chargers in Jacksonville, very hard to figure, I think. Jacksonville really scared me the other night. They did not play well against Tennessee, and if they didn't get that turnover, they were going to lose that game. Their offense had completely been shut down by a Tennessee team that was missing half their roster. Uh, that scared me. They might not be ready for prime time here. San Diego, uh, I call them San Diego. The Chargers might be ahead of them. I I like what they're building in Jacksonville. Jacksonville's home. I just, I got a bad feeling last week watching that offense. What about you? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, like, I don't know why they got away from their run game in that, in that game. I'm not 100% sure why. 
maybe because um, maybe because Tennessee's got some beasts inside with Tart and with uh, Simmons, and, and they felt like, hey, let's get away from this a little bit, um, and they were just kind of out of sync. Um, but I think I, I just think that was a knockoff thing. That was a kind of a game plan thing, and. You know, I think looking back on it, they go, hey, man, we should stick with what we are. We talked about identity earlier. So, you know, that's just kind of how I feel about that game. And let, let me tell you one thing about about Jacksonville. They can run the ball. They can dominate a line of scrimmage, especially on the defensive front. And I just don't think the Chargers can block them. I'll tell you, I, I these really two quarterbacks see. are going to be around for a long time. They're both going to have great careers. You know, they're young. They're talented. These guys are going to be playoff fixtures for a long time, both of them. Yeah, I, I I think so too. I, the other thing, I just don't trust Brandon Staley. I just I feel like you I know, don't either. I I, I agree with you. I think the coaching's yeah. all Jacksonville. I I I think they have more talent right now in their offense than than Jacksonville does, and I think Jacksonville's got some speed too. Uh, if they let him throw the ball, I just thought they got away. Maybe they just got away from their offense last week. You might be right. If they go back to how they played two weeks ago, they will really lighten it up. They should let him play. Yeah, I, I'm I'm there with you, and I just, like I said, I, I just think that they'll dominate the line of scrimmage, and they'll get back to running the football, opening up their their plash stuff with their young quarterback. Both quarterbacks, like you mentioned, are are phenomenal young players. Um, they're pretty exciting to watch. Buffalo early Sunday gets Miami. Now Miami matches up well with them, but not with Thompson at quarterback. Let's be honest. I don't want to be offensive, but he's got no chance at quarterback. I mean, just absolutely. He's got no chance. Now I don't know if Bridgewater can hold the ball with his finger, but I mean, we know two is not playing. You know what? If they had a quarterback, they could put on a good show in this game Uh, with Thompson. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah, I I agree. I think Buffalo. I think Buffalo walks in that game as well. I'll uh, you know, whatever the Bet River spread is. In yeah, that's that one, thirteen I'm now, I'm up to thirteen. Give it the points. That's a lot of points, but boy, I tell you, you know, Buffalo's Miami scored six points last week against the Jets. You know, too late on a safety that yeah. covered the points spread, but two field goals is all they got in the game, and the Jets were beat up and demoralized. I mean, uh, he's just not ready for prime time, and he's going to be in Buffalo, and that's scary right there. Giants in yeah. Minnesota. Everybody and their brother is picking the Giants. Everywhere, everybody is picking. I didn't think they would. I thought it would be 50-50. It's not. Minnesota's a three-point favorite. I'm telling you, 80% of the predictions are the Giants. Yeah, I, you listen. I think I think Minnesota is a more talented team. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants cover. I think Minnesota wins that game. Uh, one thing about Minnesota, I will say this: they and, and they've won all their you know their one score Close games. Game, it's been yep. Incredible what they've been able to do. I think they're minus three. They they've won yeah, they're three games, point favorite, three. and they've won every game that they've been a, a single score game. They've won every game this year. Right, no, but I'm saying I'm saying scoring differential. They're minus three. Oh they yeah, for the year, games. absolutely. Yeah, they they got blown it's, out a couple of times, insane. and every other game has but been I, close. I will say this about them, and I've done four of their games this year, Mike. In in like crunch time, they find a way to make a play. Well, it's all the Jefferson too. Jefferson's yeah, unbelievable. Where, where it's a block punt, or it's a they just find a way to make a play in a critical moment. And I've seen them, you know, I, I, I saw make a play at the, you know, I've seen them make a play um, against Arizona, like drive, drive the length of the field and score a touchdown at the end of the game to, to salt away a victory. Uh, the, the, uh, the game against the Giants, I called the game against the Giants. Yeah. You know, uh, they, they blocked the punt on a third down and 10. The one time that, that, um, the, 
that Wink Martindale decides not to blitz. Yep. Um, they've got they got Jefferson double covered. He runs a dig route and and catches it between two defenders and falls over the end line for a goal for a score. Then they drive and kick a sixty one yard field goal. I, I, I watched it. It was unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. Jefferson is just, amazing. Oh, he's a he's a freak show. And so they just find a way. They just find a way to win. You like um, cousins so, or you don't like cousins? I do. I I think Cousins is a really good quarterback. I just think that. You know, I just think that sometimes under pressure situations, that's a guy that I just don't feel like, you know, always, always is making plays, if you will. So that I just have that, 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 that's my kind of feel on, on Cousins. All right. Huntley has been terrible at quarterback. He was good last year. He's been terrible this year. He can't find the receiver. He can't hit Andrews with the ball. They can run the ball. Now, last week, they played pretty well against Bengals, but I don't know if the Bengals were playing all out knowing they were going to play them again. This game has gone all the way to nine and a half now for the Bengals. It opened at five. It's gone to nine and a half because they know that Jackson's not playing, uh, that Huntley's quarterbacking. Uh, they, you know, Dobbins is a really good back. We know Ravens have a culture that they are very tough in these games. You think that's close, or do you think that the Bengals, who are a legitimately good team, do you think they blow them out, or do they think it's close? I I think I think that the Bengals are going to win that one. I think they're going to win that one. Walk away. I just not enough offense for for Baltimore, and and like you mentioned, Huntley has just he's, looked bad. He's looked um, terrible, terrible. And, and they're not, and they don't have the same like they, they don't have the same dynamic. Like he's not the same dynamic athlete in the quarterback position running the ball. So teams. Teams are like saying, "Hey, we dare you to run it against us. Uh, we're, you know, we're going to take away the throwing game." It just hasn't. It just hasn't looked the same. And obviously, you know, nobody's the athlete that Lamar Jackson is. So I just, I just don't think they have enough to. And I, to I tell you, Bengals today. are legitimately good. And Burroughs is Burroughs belongs right with Mahomes, right with any quarterback in the league. That guy is a tremendous player. He, there's no question about it. He is, uh, he's phenomenal, man. That dude is, that dude is, I like to say is all balls. Yeah, so. he is. He's like <laughs> an old time quarterback, amazing. you know, he's in that pocket and he makes every throw and he's not afraid of anything. Now let's get to the game that a few people might want to watch. The, the Cowboys who are the little girl with the curl, you never know how they're going to play with the big pass rush, which, which is what's going to affect Tom Brady. You got you got the legends on the other side who you know if you leave him around in the fourth quarter, he's going to come down the field and beat you if you give him a chance. But Tampa has been awful all year. They should have lost two or three other games, and they finished with a losing record. They're a terrible team. They're not even any good this year. Now D- Dallas on a good day could just destroy them, but Dallas has games where you just shake your head. You can see if they leave Tom hanging around and they're not getting pressure and he's getting the ball out quick, you can see him coming down the field in the fourth quarter and winning the game like he's done 9,000 times. What do you think about this game? Uh, Dallas is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite in Tampa. We know you got the legends on one side. You got the more talented team in Dallas. What's your thoughts? Yeah, you know what? It's interesting. I, Dallas is just another one of those teams I don't really trust. Um, you can't trust Dak them. Just, you never know right. how they're going to play. And 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 Dak has been throwing picks like it's you know his job. I, 
Here's the here's the thing that I think is interesting. Talking, I I, I did Tampa last week, so I ended up having several conversations with Tom Brady. He's like, "Well, closer than you think," and you know, and he goes, "Our receivers are finally healthy, finally feeling their salt." You saw it in the in Week 18 against uh, against Carolina, where yeah, they Evans. went over the top a couple yeah. times with yeah. Evans. Godwin is finally healthy. He's been kind of nursing that knee that he had the ACL on all season long. Uh, Gage, Russell Gage has come together. He loves and, and to really throw the ball to the nice. backs. You know that. Yeah. You, yeah. So he's he, he, like, they feel better about their offense. It's funny. I was talking to Byron Leftwich about it. He goes, you know, everybody makes a big deal that we don't run the ball. We're 32 and you know, 32 and rushing. And he, he goes, listen, we dropped from 27. Like, it's not like we were eighth and dropped to right. 32 because right. we've never run the ball. We don't care about it at that much. And so Tom is like, we're, we're closer than you think, but here's the interesting factor in this. Like defensively, Todd Bowles histor- historically has been a blitz you 50, 55% of the time. He has rolled that back into the 20 percentile because they have not been able to produce on the offensive side of the ball. So when you blitz, you know, you expose yourself. Yep. And you'll give up, you'll give up, you know, a, a couple of cheap scores. But what the, the whole theory is, it's like we Martindale, we talked about that you'll make more plays than, than you give up. And in the wash, you know, you come out victorious. Well, they haven't been able to play that way because offensively, there have been so many struggles with health, with injuries, with their offensive line. Their offensive line's been terrible. And, you know, Parsons is, he's as good as it gets. I mean, that, yes. he, he's oh, scary. And, and no, but, but no you know, question. Tom's going to be thinking, I got three steps and that's it. I'm getting rid the ball's gone. I but, mean, but it's that, gone. But that's their whole offense. I mean, that's all they ever do anyway. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's the least sack guy in, in football, the least sack percentage in football because he's going to get rid of the ball. So the, the, the point being is that Tom Bowles is like, man, we finally feel like we got a little offensive groove going on. And, and they did with the the eight week eighteen game against Atlanta. They drove right down the field, boom, put a touchdown in. They drove right back down the field, and then Godwin fumbled, and then they took Brady out. So to me, they're like, we're going to bring pressure. And the one thing Dallas is not going to be prepared for because it's not on film. All the pressures they're going to get Good because point. they haven't been able to play that way. And so now they're going to go, hey man, help them for election. You know, we're not we're eight and nine. Nobody thinks we're going to win anyhow. We're bringing back the pressure. And I'll be very, very interested to see exactly how that how that looks in the uh, in the end. So, um, I so like you wouldn't be surprised game. if Tampa wins. No, I actually like Tampa to win this game. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you know this: if the game's within three points in the fourth quarter, and he gets his hands on the ball in the last five minutes, he's winning the game. I mean, that's yeah. all the, you you can just you can just take it to the bank. He's winning the game. Yeah, yeah you can count on it. You're right. I mean, we've watched it 9,000 times. I mean, that sink game on Monday night, they were dead in that game. They were dead, and they came back and won the game. I mean, it, he's done that how many times? We've watched them do it in Super Bowls. I mean, we've watched them do right. it for – I mean, so you wouldn't be surprised. And plus, Dallas has got that – it's funny. They've got that playoff flaw where there's always something wrong. There's always something missing. And this team, always talented, goes to the playoffs and never, ever gets it done. I mean, they haven't yeah. gotten it done since the days of Jimmy Johnson. And that's, over, that's now a long time ago. That's 20 years ago. You know, they just they never, they never make the big play in the postseason. Yeah, no, they, and, they, and they just haven't. And they're just another team that, uh, you know, I just don't trust. So 
There you go. That's, that's just kind of the way I feel about that. What team do you think is the best in the – I like Kansas City. I've liked them all year. I do too. You can pick yeah. Cincy. You can pick Buffalo. You can pick Kansas City. They're all really good. Which one do you favor out of the three, Kansas City? Yeah, I do. I Kansas City. And, and last week was in, uh, interesting against the Raiders. Like I felt like for the last month of the season, they're so good and they're so talented and their quarterback is so good that the last month of the season was like a, a cat toying with a dead mouse, a half dead mouse on the porch, you know, mm-hmm. just kept toying with it, not really just playing and taking a break and then going back. And, play. and then I thought the Raiders game week 18, they finally just said, okay, let's put the pedal to the metal a little bit. And they did, they opened it up. They looked really good. And you know, then they shut her back down. Yeah. yeah so I, I just think that, that that's the way they're built. And, and they got uh, better defensive players than people think. Oh, yeah, there, there ain't no question. Chris Jones is a beast. I think that Karloff, this kid, is playing really well. They're they're just better than you think. You just, you know, it just they get overshadowed. I think the other thing about, about Mahomes is we get we get so enamored with the sublime that he does yep. on a week-to-week basis that we tend to not recognize um, – we tend to recognize how good he is at, at doing the boring stuff. How good he is on a down to down basis, executing the offense, manipulating safeties, manipulating coverage, doing all those things that that people don't tend to see. Well, listen. Thanks very much for the time. Appreciated your perspective. You can listen to Mark on the Stink and Stokely uh, podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Mark Schlereth, who knows a little bit about playoff football, he won three Super Bowls, so he knows plenty about championships. So, thanks very much. Enjoy the postseason. Mike, you got it, man. Take care, buddy. Thank you. Mark Slareth, back with your emails right after this. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. Let's get to some emails. And remember, our Football Friday podcast will be up by noon tomorrow. Uh, you can get the picks for the postseason on the uh, Bet Rivers uh, app and on the Bet Rivers uh, website. Um, we won the regular season. Now let's see if we can win the postseason. Uh, we won the uh, Inter Bet Rivers Championship. So uh, I think it finished 10 or 11 games over 500, which is not bad. I mean, so I'll take it. Um, all right, here we go. This is from Ryan. Clearly the Jets are ready to win now uh, with this defense uh, and some of their young talent on offense. Need a quarterback. We know that. They obviously have made changes now. I'm adding we need changes now on the offensive staff, which we talked about. Do you think the Jets are most likely to end up with a Carr or a Jimmy G, Aaron Rodgers? Listen, Aaron Rodgers makes $60 million next year in, in uh, Green Bay. I don't think he's leaving there. You can't six, think about that. He's making $60 million there next year. I think he'll be there. Uh, I think they do need a veteran quarterback. We can listen a list of names. I think we'll know better as we get later in the season. You mentioned two that would be candidates. I like Carr. I think he's a good quarterback. I like Garoppolo a lot. I am a Garoppolo fan. I like him a lot more than people do. Other people do. So I think Garoppolo would be a very, very uh, positive guy. And there'll be some other candidates available also. Uh, Paul joins us uh, with the email. Uh, the airline footage emerged with Beckham. I've been listening to you forever, and yes, you're right that this kid will never learn. Um, he cares about nobody but himself. Listen, I've gone round and round with Beckham since the day he came to the Giants. I went round and round with Shockey. I was right about him. I blame the Giants for not disciplining when he first came there. I blame the same thing for the Giants. Giants got 
enamored with with Shockey's talent and let him run amok. They got enamored with Beckham's talent. They let him run amok. People made excuses for Beckham for years. Hey, I got a lot of heat about how I acted about Beckham. I got heat from Beckham. I got heat from Beckham's family. I got heat from the Giants. I got heat from everybody. You know what? I have always said it. You, you know what? Part of being great is understanding that you have to make commitments and you have to be a player. Beckham is just a spoiled child, and it continues to show. And I, was, I could not believe any team would have even thought. And how about him? Forget the plane incident, which is bad enough, okay, and it was disgraceful. How about him going to teams, asking them to sign him, lay out money, and he would not work out for them? I mean, when is enough enough with this guy? I give up. I wouldn't go near the guy. You know what? You can win without him. And the Giants are so much better off that they don't have him. Thank the good Lord they're going into this playoff game without him because he would have disappointed. Because he's a selfish kid who just hasn't found his way. And people enabled him. Instead of somebody putting him on the right path at the right time, coming across the right coach or the right person to put him in the right place, and there are coaches who would have done it, and salvage that great career. Instead, that career will never be what it was supposed to be. And, and, and it's just, it never stops. So am I surprised by what I saw? No. I, I was disgusted by it, but I'm not surprised. Charlie Long Island, if the Cowboys lose to the Bucks this weekend and the way they finish the season, uh, would it be enough for Jerry Jones to fire the head coach and hire Sean Payton? I would not rule it out. I think they will be incredibly disappointed if they lose this week. They are not going into the postseason on the right foot. They're also going against a legend who you know if you leave him in the game, he's going to beat you. And I think heads could roll if they lose this game. So, yes, I have not ruled out Sean Payton in Dallas. I have not. Um, I haven't ruled out Sean Payton anywhere, to be honest with you. I know you like Frank Reich. I do. I think there's guys out there. That's another guy that I would be very interested in to be a head coach on my team. I think he could come into a team and be a terrific head coach. I think he got a terrible, terrible screwing in Indianapolis. And I think Frank would be a very good coach for many of these teams to hire. Uh, Do you think he takes an OC job? I think if you could get Frank Reich to be the Jets, OC, it would be the home run of all time. I don't think he'll do it. I think he expects to get another job as a head coach. But I agree with you. It would be a home run. He'd be the first call I would make would be to Frank and tell him, you run the offense, Frank. And then come here, let's win, and then you can pick your own job. I would sell him on that. He'd be my first call that the Jets, I would, if I'm the GM, if I'm the head coach, my first call is to Frank Reich. Uh, but I don't think he'll take the job. Andy and Charlotte, Hopkins must be a top priority this offseason for the Giants. I hear he's going to Green Bay. That's been the rumor, you know, for a while now, that that's, that's who Rodgers wants. He wants him in Green Bay. So let's see where that goes. There's going to be teams that want Hopkins. He is a tremendous player. He's not one of nature's noblemen either, but he's a great, tremendous player. Uh, unrestricted free agent, what will it take to obtain him? Um, it ain't going to be cheap. I like him a lot. He's worth going after. Like I said, 
I would look for him with the Giants. Listen, the Giants need a big-time receiver. But if the Giants get that receiver in the draft, I'm okay. You can come out of the draft and take these kids out of college and teach them to be top-wide receivers right away. You don't have to bring a veteran in at that position. That's one of the positions where you can step in and play right away in the NFL so you can take that kid at the draft, too. You don't have to take him off a team. But I keep hearing Hopkins to the Packers. Um, Mike and Woodmere, Coach Parcells was quoted the other day in the Post uh, on Tuesday regarding his dislike of the Vikings. He said some teams just have like a built-in animosity. I just have a built-in animosity for, and the Vikings are one of them. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't read the story. So I don't know if he's talking about this group of Vikings or that he doesn't like the Minnesota Vikings as a, as a franchise. I'm not sure. Um, if he means this group of Vikings, I think that for Bill, I think he thinks they're soft. I think he thinks that they'll find a way to beat themselves in a big game and that they're soft. I think that's what he's probably talking about. If that's what he's re- – I don't know if he's referring to the Vikings as a whole or the Vikings this year's edition. I'm not sure because I didn't see the story. Uh, but if it is about this year's edition, I think the team would be a little soft for his, for his liking. You know, he likes teams that don't, A, don't beat themselves and are tough. That's what he believes in. He, he wants, his deal is stupid players make Dumb plays, and dumb plays lose games. He's a big believer in that. He's a big believer in penalties costing you and field position and special teams costing you. Like little things that he stressed unbelievably. He always, I can hear him in my head now. A hundred penalty yards is seven points. Never take the foot out of football. Ne- one of his big things, catch the punt. He would not have a punt returner back there. He didn't care if the punt returner ran for a touchdown. What he wanted was the punt returner to catch the punt on a fly. He didn't want it bouncing 25 yards down the field. And if you go back to look at the Washington game that they won in their first Super Bowl, the NFC title game, Phil McConkey was a hero on a very windy day because he caught every punt. And look at what they did. They must have picked up like 150, 180 yards just on balls bouncing around the field that day. That hidden yardage is something he stresses all the time. He is a huge believer in that. And one thing he always, I learned this from him and from Jimmy Johnson. They both always told me the same thing. I am 100%. He always stressed this. He said this, Jimmy Johnson this, that they were both 100% more likely to make a trick play in a playoff game because they were going to pull out any stop to win that game. So a fake punt. And remember, they used the fake punt. That Jimmy Johnson used it. Bill Parcells used it with the Giants a couple of times. They had a play called the Rappaho. They, they used it a couple of times where fake punts changed games. And when they can see the momentum falling away from them, that's when they would fake the punt, the onside kick, the fake punt. 
not so much the onside kick because that's usually after a touchdown. You're not that you you have some momentum. It's when you don't have momentum when you didn't get that first down and you're thinking I can't give him the ball back right now. That's when you would see that fake punt from both of them. And I tell you, he was always a big believer. You might not see that game that play in the regular season, but you would see it in the postseason. And the bigger the game, the more daring he became on fourth down and in terms of trick plays because he was going to do whatever he had to do to, to change the momentum and win the game. And those guys, they always think the momentum, and they're right. There's a momentum in a playoff game that is always moving in one direction or the other, and you have to be able to stem the tide, especially on the road, where that team, all of a sudden, that game can get away from you. I'll give you the perfect example where the game got away from them. Maybe the worst loss of his career. He had two really terrible ones. The Ram game, obviously when they lost the game on the touchdown in overtime, that was a terrible game, a game they should have won. And then the other game being the Jet game in Denver. Jets were up 10 nothing after blocking a punt in the third quarter. And then the Jets turned the ball over, and Elway hadn't made a play all day. He ran a half waggle, and he hit the play 55 yards down the field. And all of a sudden, that stadium came, I was there, came to life. And they started just making so more noise than I'd ever heard in the stadium before. And all of a sudden, they scored. The Jets turned it over. They got a second. They got a field goal. The Jets turned it over. The next thing you know, by the time the smoke day, the Jets are down 23 to 10, and the game is over. You've got to be able to stem the momentum in those playoff games. And that is something as a coach you have to be conscious of that I need to do something right now to stem the tide and change the momentum in this game so we can get it back under control. Controlling momentum in postseason games, especially when you're not the most talented team, is critical. And that's how you win games like they did in San Francisco or they did against Buffalo by making plays because there was such a fine line that they could not, not, you know, breach. If they did, they were in big trouble. That team that beat the Bills, that beat the Niners in the three-peat game and beat the Bills, that team was a good team. Not a great team, but a good team that played great. Fewest turnovers ever in a season by a giant team. Set one of the records for fewest turnovers in a season. No turnovers in the Super Bowl. That team never made mistakes and always found a way to make a big play. And that's how you win those championships, that way. And this giant team has a little of that this year. This giant team has a little of that nature where they seem to always make the right play at the right time and that's how you that's how you win games when you're not the most talented team and the Giants aren't the most talented team but they have a heck of a shot this weekend football Friday podcast tomorrow morning be looking for it it'll be up by 12 enjoy your evening thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network hey it's Mike Miss here what a time to be a Philly sports fan and you can share the excitement with me each week 
on the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli Podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.